I was playing in a basketball game in high school, and early in the game, the other team came down the court, and they shot the ball, and they missed. So as soon as they missed, I, I jumped up to get the rebound. That was an incredible jump, and I was sure that I was going to get it, but, but after I jumped up, I realized I didn't time it really well, and apparently I can't jump as high as I thought. So I realized that I was going to come to the ground without the ball, and I knew that the big guy behind me was going to get it, and he was going to score. I couldn't let that happen. So I decided that what I would do is I would hit the ball as hard as I could with whatever part of my hand I could get on it. It would hit the backboard, bounce off in some other direction, and we would be okay. And that's exactly what I did. I hit the ball, but apparently I'm not as strong as I thought I was. So I hit the ball, and it hit the backboard, and then it dropped right in the hoop. So I stood there in this moment as a senior in high school, playing on our home court, and I had just scored on my own team. And I was so embarrassed. And to be honest with you, I wasn't, wasn't really embarrassed because of my coach, who was not happy on the sideline. I wasn't embarrassed because of my teammates, even though I knew I was going to hear it from them later. I wasn't embarrassed because of the crowd there that day. I was embarrassed because my dad was there that day, like he was at most of my games. And I was afraid that he would be so disappointed in me. But that didn't keep me from looking into the crowd right at my dad. And he didn't look disappointed. Instead, with his typical calm demeanor, I could see him mouthing the words to me to just stay calm, keep playing. And I did, and thankfully, we didn't lose by two points. Um, I actually don't remember what happened at the end of the game, whether we won or lost, but I will always remember that mistake I made, and I'll always remember my dad's response, because that's my dad. As serious as he can be at times, as sarcastic as he tends to be, he is also always supportive of his kids. Always has been. In fact, he's the reason that I wanted to be a dad for many years leading up to the birth of my sons. It's because I love and admire my dad. He's always been there for me. He taught me sports, taught me how to ride a bike, taught me how to drive a manual car, and boy, did that test his patience. He showed me how to be a good husband and a good father. And like me, many of you have also been blessed by your father. You have a father or a father figure in your life who has impacted you in probably more ways than one. I also know that there are some of you here this morning who do not have a father. I, maybe your dad passed away or he hasn't been a part of your life for some reason or another. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of a man who didn't have a father. And by that, I don't mean that his dad passed away, or that he didn't know his dad, or that his dad was absent in his life for some reason. No, I mean that he did not have a father. This man was the dad without a dad. And I pray that his story will encourage and challenge every father here. His story will encourage and challenge the fatherless here, and those with fathers, and anyone and everyone in between. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, because this morning we're going to be looking at the story of Adam. Go ahead, take a Bible out. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seat in front of you. 
Normally, I try and have the page number. I forgot to do that today, but it is at the very beginning of that Bible. Right? Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4. This is what we find. Page 2. Thank you, brother. Page 2. Page 2, Genesis chapter 2. Verse 4, it says this. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Let's stop right here for now. Of course, this is the man that we now know as Adam. And it said, and there was no one to work the ground. Well, there, there was no one, period, at this point. Uh, and a lot of us have probably wanted to experience that at some point in life. Usually, it's when we're in standstill traffic on the highway, or a long line at Walmart, or when we get embarrassed in public. We have that thought that says, I wish that no one was here, and that I was all alone. Well, Adam was the first human in God's great creation. So when he was created, he was, but he was all alone in that sense. Perhaps the next person closest to such loneliness was a man named Mike Collins. In 1969... Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin famously became the first men to walk on the surface of the moon. But they had another astronaut, another crew member with them. His name was Michael Collins. And when Aldrin and Armstrong were walking on the moon, Collins floated away. You see, his role was to pilot the command module around the moon until Armstrong and Aldrin were finished on the surface. So for over 20 hours, Collins orbited the moon. And each time that he went around, that meant that he had to go around the far side of the moon. And whenever that happened, for over 40 minutes, he lost all radio contact with Earth. Which meant that for those around 47 minutes or so, he was not only hundreds of thousands of miles from every human on Earth. He was more than 2,000 miles from his crew on the moon, and he was completely isolated and alone. Back home, the press called him the loneliest man in history. Mission Control said this. They said, not since Adam has any human known such solitude as Mike Collins is now experiencing. That would be interesting, though, wouldn't it? Be cut off from everybody like that. But it's interesting, over the years when he was asked about it, Mike Collins would tell people that he didn't feel lonely in those moments when he was orbiting the moon. And to be honest with you, I don't think that Adam did either. Because like with Mike Collins, being alone didn't last long for Adam. It wasn't long before God created Eve. And then this couple, they would have children, grandchildren. They would see great-grandchildren born. For hundreds of years, Adam would live and see many people born. But even when all of that happened, and when the earth was being populated, even when all this was going on, Adam would still not have a dad like everyone else who was born. Someone to teach Adam how to give a firm handshake, how to shave, how to plant crops, 
how to hunt for food. Someone who could say, well, Adam, when I was your age. Or someone who could say to him, you know, I've been there, son. Let me tell you what I did. I mean, Adam never had an earthly dad. And, and there are these times when I read his story and I, I feel for Adam not having an earthly father. But, but then I continue to read and I stand amazed at what he did have. I mean, did Adam have it bad? No. How could he? He lived in the perfection of God's original creation. In perfect health, perfect innocence, perfect relation to God. Though, of course, as we know, that perfection didn't last long, but things were certainly not bad in the earliest of days for Adam. So I want us to consider for a few minutes all the things that Adam did have. Because I think that's where we're going to find the encouragement and the challenge for every father and person here today. So we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2. Now the next few verses from where we left off describe the garden that the Lord planted in Eden. It's complete with all kinds of trees that we're told were pleasing to the eye and good for food. But we're going to pick up now in verse 15. It says this. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So look, there were some things that Adam didn't have, sure. But let's consider all the things that he did have. He had a beautiful place to live in the Garden of Eden. God provided a home for him. Adam had food easily accessible. God provided nourishment for him. Adam had work to do. He was supposed to take care of the garden. Name the animals. Chapter 1 tells us he was to exercise dominion over creation. In other words, God provided purpose for Adam. Adam had God's commands clearly laid out and the opportunity to choose whether or not he would obey God. In other words, God provided freedom and responsibility for him. Adam had a wife. God provided companionship and the beauty of marriage for him. Adam had a lot. It's true that this list doesn't include an earthly father, but Adam had someone far greater. He had his heavenly father. And as a result, he had this perfect example right in front of him. So that one day he would understand the importance of providing 
a home and nourishment for his family. Giving structure to his future kids. Communicating to them the importance of hard work, of caring for what's entrusted to you, of obeying God, and of one day leaving their parents to be joined to their spouse. God demonstrated these things to Adam. And God demonstrated love to Adam. And the result is that Adam, Adam would understand how to demonstrate love to his family. It's true that Adam didn't have an earthly father to answer his questions. But he had a heavenly father who has all the answers. I'm curious this morning, do all of us here have the heavenly father as our father? See, that's only true for followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus described God the Father this way. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He said this. Jesus said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, the point is that God, God knows the best to provide his children. And that's what Adam got. Adam got the best. So even though Adam would be an imperfect father, through God's example, Adam knew what a perfect father would look like. But now that leads us to why Adam was an imperfect father. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3, if you're not already there. In Genesis chapter 3, we find that one day, Satan came to the garden disguised as a serpent. He tempted Eve to eat the fruit from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she did. And then she gave some to Adam, and he ate from it too. Then God came looking for them, and they hid. When that didn't work, they started blaming each other. God cursed the serpent, and he judged Eve, and then he turned to Adam, and he said this. Let's pick up in verse 17. Chapter 3, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. After all that God had done for him, all the love that he had shown, all the good things that he had given to him. All that Adam needed to do was freely obey and worship and walk with his God. Yet look how far he fell. And this, this is what Adam is most known for. He's most known for his failure. His failure to obey God. 
His failure to lead his wife in righteousness. His failure to resist temptation. His failure which led to the sin nature and physical death that all people face. And his failure which led to the penalty of hell which all unforgiven people will face. That's what we know him for. But I believe that his story can teach us much more than this. I mean, would, would Adam have been a better dad if he had never sinned? Well, you better believe it. But if Adam paid attention to God's response to sin, there were some things that he could learn that would impact him as a father, even in his fallen state. I want to mention a few of them. See, God could have brought the death penalty immediately on Adam and Eve, but he didn't. It's true that they faced many consequences. Physical death would slowly come. But I don't want us to miss that they were recipients of God's mercy. All right. Mercy, mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. That's mercy. And good fathers need to know when to demonstrate mercy towards their children. That doesn't mean that they turn a blind eye to sin. God didn't. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that God disciplines his children for our own good so that we would learn to become more holy and righteous. Human fathers aren't going to be perfect in their discipline, but they ought to learn from God just as Adam could here. Adam and Eve were recipients of God's grace. Grace is when we do get what we don't deserve. God didn't abandon them like they deserved. He clothed them when he forgave them. An animal died so that skins could be used to clothe them. Here, Adam and Eve were the first to see what the Bible would later teach, which is that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Good fathers need to know the severity of sin and the greatness of forgiveness and grace. And Adam... Adam sure learned the severity of sin. His failure to lead his wife, his failure to stand for what's right, led to all these things. He would always know the truth that he was responsible to someone greater. He was responsible to God. And all good fathers need to know that. It's only then that an earthly father can be careful to treat his wife with respect and love, and to properly discipline, instruct, and love his children, when that man realizes that he stands responsible before Almighty God. Adam didn't have an earthly dad to show him all these things, so God showed him all these things. And it was after that. Then, then, then Adam became a dad. Look at chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, so as Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. We're going to stop right here for the sake of time. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Cain, whose heart wasn't right before God, murdered his brother Abel. And we aren't told how Adam responded, how he, how he grieved over Abel's death, how, how he dealt with Cain or who he looked to in, in his grief. But we are told that God dealt out the punishment on Cain. And from that, Adam could learn about justice. And Genesis 5 verse 3 tells us this. Genesis chapter 5 verse 3 says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. 
After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. And that's Adam's story for us in, in Scripture. Adam, Adam lived hundreds of years, fathered many children without having his own earthly dad to ask questions or to help him. And just the other week, my parents were in town, and I stood outside and I started asking my dad questions about things that I wanted to teach my boys. And every question started with, Dad, what did you do? What did you do when I, when I was their age? What did you do about this? See, some of us have dads that we can ask those questions to, but others like Adam, they don't. I mean, how do you raise a child? They say it takes a village, but Adam didn't have a village to help. In fact, by the time there was finally a village, they were all his kids anyways. Adam, Adam didn't have a person to ask. Him and Eve, they didn't, they didn't have a copy of what to expect when you're expecting, or a copy of Dobson's bringing up boys or bringing up girls, but they had God. And from God, they had the basic instructions they were to carry out. They had the lessons they learned from their own failures, and they had an example of that type of love that they were to show. Adam was a dad without an earthly dad. But his heavenly father showed him all that he needed so that Adam and all the fathers after him could start being good examples to their children. And Adam, Adam was blessed, and I'm sure we picked up on it, he was blessed with a lot of time to live for the Lord. A lot of time to point his children and grandchildren to the Lord, which is the role of every father. Did he do that? We don't know, but he had 930 years to do it. So what will we do with the time that we are blessed to have? If you're here and you are a father, then realize whether or not you're blessed with an earthly father to look to for advice and guidance. Realize that if Jesus is your Savior, then God is your heavenly Father. And you can always run to him for wisdom, for help in times of need, for guidance when you feel lost. You can look to his word, the Bible, for answers to many of life's difficulties. You can learn from his discipline in your life as he's corrected your failures so that you can guide your own children. And fathers, as you grow to love God more, you'll grow to love your family more, and you'll be better prepared to point them to Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here, and you're not a father, and maybe your father isn't in your life any longer. Understand, again, that if you are a Christian, understand that, that like Adam, you have a heavenly father. And Psalm 68, verse 5 says that our Lord is a father to the fatherless. Believer, your heavenly father will never leave you nor forsake you. He will comfort you when you seek him. He'll give you his peace when you go to him in times of trouble. You can cast all your anxiety at his feet because he cares for you. And his Holy Spirit living within you will guide you in how you ought to live. And for those of us who are here, who are blessed with what Adam didn't have, a good earthly father, let's honor and appreciate them today. And let's thank our heavenly father for blessing us with them. You see, here's the truth that I want to get at this morning, church. It's that every Christian has at least one father to celebrate on Father's Day. Every Christian has at least one father to celebrate on Father's Day. Some Christians have good earthly fathers to be thankful for. Every Christian has the Heavenly Father to be thankful for. 
So let's praise him, church. Let's praise our heavenly father. Before we leave today, as we get ready to go and celebrate with our earthly father, let's praise our heavenly father for who he is. If you're here this morning, though, and Jesus is not your savior, I want you to understand something very important. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that it's those who receive Jesus Christ, who believe in his name, that are given the right to become children of God. I need you to understand that because you'll hear a lot of people say that all people are God's children. But that's just not what the Bible says. We're all God's creation. But you need to understand the Bible says that if Jesus is not your Savior, you're not a child of God. The Bible says you're a child of wrath because that's what you're heading for. You're heading for God's wrath. The just punishment and penalty for our sin is to be separated forever from God after this life in a place called hell. That's the bad news. The good news is God wants you to be his child. God loves you like crazy. God wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to forgive you of all your sin, all those terrible things that you've done. He wants to bring you into his presence. He wants you to be with him forever. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. He powerfully rose from the dead, and he stands in heaven right now waiting to forgive you, to save you from the penalty of hell, and to bring you into God's family forever. If you have never made that decision, please understand that you can do that before you leave. Your adoption can be final before you step out of that door if you will give your life to Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's where you're at, if Jesus isn't your Savior, please understand, during this final song, you can come and talk to me up here at the front. We can talk about this. You can ask your questions. We can pray together. But if you're here... And Jesus isn't your Savior, but you're ready to deal with that. You're ready to give your life to Him. You're ready to come into the family of God. And you can do that right now. Wherever you're seated. You can go to the Lord in prayer. You can pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that like Adam, I, I, I've broken your commands. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and for my sins. And I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but that you powerfully rose from the dead. And Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and to be my Savior. I'm ready to be a part of your family. And so today I'm giving you my life. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's made that decision, who's given their life to Christ, who's stepped into your family, that they would praise you today. Father, we thank you for the blessing of good, godly, earthly fathers. And I pray that you would bless those fathers here today. I pray that you would give them wisdom to lead their families, no matter how old or young their kids might be. Give them great influence over their family, that they might point them to Jesus Christ time and time again. But Father, we know that this is a room filled with imperfect individuals, so help us in our weakness to live in a way which please you. Sometimes we struggle to admit when we're wrong, but help us to be quick to do that, to come before you in repentance and others as well. Father, I pray that you would be with those here today who don't have an earthly father. This can be a hard day. 
I pray that you would comfort them in a way that only you can. And I pray that today those believers would be filled with an inexpressible joy because of you, your Heavenly Father. Thank you for all the ways that you love on us. It's just incredible how you love us day after day. The truth is we just don't always see all the ways you love us. So today, open our eyes to that. And I pray that as we praise you now, you'd be honored and glorified because, Father, we do love you, but we know that you love us more. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.